interest rates, food, petrol prices, supply chain issues, logistic issues, transport woes, anxiety, fear, fatigue from COVID, the flu, war, gangs, addiction, sickness, stress, and intense workplaces. And that was just in the last seven days. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has thought, especially when walking past the lettuces at Woolies in the last few weeks, gee, wouldn't it be nice if I had a big, fat inheritance? And, and it's a, an, an obvious thought, isn't it? I mean, we want relief, don't we? Uh, we? We want to hope in something better to make it through the tough times that we're in. Now, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Numbers in the past few weeks, you'll notice something a little bit off with my thinking. Not my desire for relief, just my focus. You see, the story of Numbers, to recap, is about life in the wilderness, journeying to the inheritance, the promised land, that God has set forth to his people, guaranteeing. Now, for them, they're heading on to a physical land. And we've seen week after week how God sets them up well for this journey. Presence, provision, promises, protection. All they need is to graciously trust God Even as they rebel and walk away, God is still gracious to them. And right now in this final chapter, they're standing on the ridge line. They're camped, looking out over the land that will soon be theirs. It turns out that this book, the Old Testament book of Numbers, has now come in full circle with a new generation about to walk right into God's good inheritance. We also see that Numbers is our story too. Because we journey on too, in the wilderness of life, already saved and secured by Jesus, awaiting a new creation where God will rule and reign. And he is faithfully leading us into that inheritance too. And the final question that leaves us as we close off this great book reflects the temptation of my heart as I read the news headlines and navigate the shopping centers and fill up my car with petrol is this. What am I striving for? What am I striving for? Specifically, have I set my hopes on a godless promised land? A destination promising everything good but God himself. But the question gets even more pointy. I must ask myself, and I'm going to challenge you as well, would I, would you be satisfied in this life if I could overcome all my temptations, my inner struggles, be totally fulfilled emotionally, spiritually, in my career, relationally, and financially, but if I didn't have Jesus. To use the language of numbers, what's the point of going into the promised land of milk and honey if God isn't there? I mean, after all, the land is simply the gift to get more of God. And the second generation, second generation knew this. We see it beginning in Numbers 26, a second census is now being taken. It records those who are faithful, bold, and determined to know firmly what God has in store for them. And God knows it too, because this census prepares them to receive his inheritance. Look at Numbers 26, 53 to 54, as God speaks here. And he says, the land is to be allotted to them as an inheritance based on the number of names. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance. To a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Very different to the first census in the first 10 chapters, isn't it? Now, inheritance is about having the land to live in as God's people 
to flourish under his loving rule and care like it was in the Garden of Eden so that they can live and show the nations around them what their God is like. And this new generation, the faithful generation, is hearing God tell them they're ready to receive the inheritance promised. How encouraging. So, what do they need to do to get the inheritance? Deuteronomy will explain that in more detail, but it's quite simple. Take a step of faith and move in. The Lord God, Yahweh, will win the battles for them. His presence will be among them. But, as happens in the road of life, things aren't always easy as they seem. Two wrinkles pop up for the five daughters of Zelophehad that threatens their inheritance. Will the adversity and disappointment turn into grumbling and unbelief like it has so often in this book? Well, let's explore that and end the book of Numbers with the five daughters and one faithful God and see the confidence they have in their God, their obedience, because that's how you live in the wilderness by faith. And that's how they live before God graciously secured the inheritance for them. And then we'll end in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Peter tells us that through Jesus, we too have the hope of inheritance that that land can only ever promise and point to. An inheritance that Peter says is um, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Yep, even better than a big fat load of cash injected into my bank account in today's economy is the inheritance that Jesus promises us. And I hope this will give us all a much-needed perspective, a shot in the arm of joy, and a deep hope as you and me navigate all the complexities of life in Adelaide in such an uncertain time. And we'd have confidence that striving after God is actually really, really good. So, first part, seeking the inheritance, Numbers 27, the first 11 verses. Let me introduce you to these five, five faithful women. The daughters of Zelophehad came forward, And they stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they said, These women represent an entire generation who understand the importance of land and are eager to go in and possess it. Women's rights was not part of these cultures in the way we think about it today. But the way God's people understood the created order, both men and women, made in God's image, both had dignity, both valued in the community. And importantly, in this instance, it's a faith in God's promises that is for men and women, no expectation, no exception. In verse 3, they say, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from this clan because he had no sons? Give us property among our father's relatives. They begin by appealing and mentioning a tragic story of rebellion in number 16 of a man named Korah. And Korah's family was wiped out and lost the inheritance as an example for the rest of the people not to desire what he did. But God spared some of the family because the sons of Korah become some of the most famous psalm writers that we have. These five women make the point here that while their father died for his sin, like Korah, They haven't lost the inheritance like Korah's family did. But their future is threatened. How? Their dad had no sons. They would essentially be homeless in this land. There's nothing worse than being forgotten by a family, pushed to the side and ignored, and maybe you've experienced that. This was their future staring them in the face. Five forgotten lives because their father had no sons. So verse 5. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, 
what these daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. God's people, even today, should be very attentive to the cries and needs of those in the community, not dismissing anyone as a nuisance or not important. Because Moses doesn't. Five women out of the whole lot of families and people here, these five matter. God is sensitive to the needs of his community too. Every person matters. And here, God makes sure that being an unmarried woman is of no consequence to life with him. All people will have a part in the land. You see, God's grace and mercy is not dependent upon their father's procreation or perfection. It rests in God's character and their belief in God's promise. So God gives them for the land, gives them the land. And he allows for situations like this in the future to be sorted out by allowing the land to trickle down the family line, verses 8 to 11. These five daughters, faith in God and God's grace, sets them up for a good future, even if their father wasn't able to. Family sins, the situation you're in, doesn't have to be the only story or the rest of your future. God's grace changes it. They want the inheritance because they want to be a part of what God is doing. They want to be in the land knowing God more. Well, it looks like it's settled. But pretty soon, another wrinkle to their inheritance rears its head. This time, it's Numbers chapter 36. This is now keeping the inheritance. So while these stories in the book are really far apart, they're telling one united story, actually, because we see the same five daughters, the same land and inheritance issues, the same result in God siding with them, the same faith and obedience on the woman's part. But Numbers 36 rounds out the whole book really nicely. By this time again, they're on the ridgetop looking out over the land. Like when you're atop of Anstey's Hill, you see all the north, you see Tree Plaza, you see the city. They can see where they've come from, what's in front of them. And from this vantage point, looking around, the family heads of the daughters now come up to Moses with a problem. They say, when the Lord commanded my Lord to give the landers an inheritance to the Israelites by lot, he ordered you to give the inheritance to our brother Zephalahad and to his daughters. Now suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes, then their inheritance will be taken from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into. And so part of the inheritance allotted to us will be taken away. Notice here, they don't argue about the daughters having the land, only that if they marry into another tribe, then the land will shift over to them by marriage. Like today, when people merge assets, when you get married, sometimes they sell properties or cars in the process, and what was two now becomes one. Well, if this happened in numbers, the previous safeguard God set up is now void, as the land would still move to the other tribe and you'd end up with a patchwork of no security. The land is not divided equally, and some tribes may even disappear completely. Especially when the year of Jubilee comes, and land is to be restored, there'd be nothing to give back. It's tricky, isn't it? Well, just like last time, God agrees. Look at verse 5. Then at the Lord's command, Moses gave this order to the Israelites, what the tribe of Joseph is saying is right. The inheritance is to be kept in each tribe, by making sure they marry within the same tribe. In both 27 and 36, God is sought for clarity. In both, God rules so his people can flourish under him. In both, God is the one to secure the inheritance. The land is a gracious possession from a merciful God. And these five women think so too. Look at verse 10. 
So the daughters did as the Lord commanded Moses. They married within the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in their father's tribe and clan. Now perhaps you, you hear this and think, well, gee, this is a bit archaic, a step back from the boldness of the women in chapter 27. You know, courageous enough to ask for land one moment, but then told by men they can't marry who they want. Well, two helpful things can be said at this point. Firstly is, even today, we almost marry within a highly limited circle of friends and acquaintances. So in Israel, most people at this time wanted to marry within their tribe. Second, our social conventions are just that, social conventions. Ours is not the only way. Let's not assume this was a bad thing because they have a different view in their culture. Especially as well, we mustn't see this just about marriage. It was about God's covenant that enabled equal, fair distribution of the land. And after all, the daughters don't see this as a problem. They did as the Lord commanded. When they, when they What they see in this is how God has secured their place, their future, their home, their hope, life in the land. And when you view it that way, it's not a restriction. It means they can now live free in the land God promised them. It's actually a good resolution. They're bold, they're confident that God would give them the inheritance and they faithfully obey all along the way, even when obstacles come at them. To put the conclusion in our language today, we might say, they all lived happily ever after. And then in verse 13, we have the final postscript of the book of Numbers. And it tells us three things about our one faithful God. These are the commands and regulations the Lord gave Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, these three things make sense in light of the whole book. So, let's go. Firstly, God gets the first and last word. God spoke at the start, speaks in the middle, and he speaks at the end. Yes, the wilderness is a hard place, but it's a place where God speaks and God leads. His voice, his presence are there. There was not one moment in this story where God wasn't with them. And it's always true as God's people too. Our life, the obstacles we face, hard as they may be, complex and tricky, we do not do this alone. Secondly, God has fulfilled his promise. They've moved locations, did you notice? From Sinai, they've now stand at the ridgeline facing their new home. God has faithfully gotten them through all the troubles, all the trials. Their hearts have been fully exposed in the wilderness. They've been grumbling and unfaithful, but God has met them with grace along the way. Sometimes this was harsh. Sometimes it was confronting reading their story. But it was always with an eye to bring them into God's presence. And finally, God gives Moses a vision for the future here. God still gives his people a glimpse of what is to come, even if it's out of reach in the wilderness. After all, Moses would never go in. He would die soon after Deuteronomy finishes. He would never get into the promised land, but he sees it. And today... We have the hope of the through the gospel of Jesus. We know it a little now, this preview of what's to come, through the incursion of our God into our life by his spirit. God giving us the family of God, the church, forgiveness of sin, security in that he has done the work in saving us, and the hope that the best is yet to come. It's through the Bible and story, prayer, singing relationships. These little moments are often small glimpses of the future being brought forward, not always perfectly. Not always for a long time, but enough to keep us going. Because you see, as numbers ends, like my running app tells me, every finishing line is a new starting line, which is what happens at numbers. 
the confidence of this new generation who affirm faith in God as they look forward to a future with God exemplified in these five daughters. And while Deuteronomy is the final words closing this, uh, final words of these people before they go into the land, um, he calls them at that moment to be faithful to God as they go in. But as good as the land was, as great as the promises were, the people never fully lived in this place without conflict and sin and evil and corruption. Even when they got the land, they never quite got rid of the gods and temptations from the other nations all around them and even in them, because the wilderness of their own hearts was still there, which means the fullness of their inheritance was still to come. And in Jesus, it has arrived. We live today as Christians on a ridgeline too, looking back at the cross where sin and evil in us and over creation was finally dealt with. And we live now in a place when God's spirit gives us a joyful vision for the future inheritance. Here's what Peter says in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 3-6 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through our faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and trials. Peter says that Jesus kicks the previous hope out the park. An inheritance secured through his resurrection, an inheritance secured by his death, coming to us. And because of that, it can't spoil or perish or fade. You know, all things in this life end. Passion, energy, time, our cars, jobs, a good economy, reasonable food prices, Families move, friends come and go, food gets eaten and the best wine even even runs dry. The weather changes, pollution creeps in, spoils the earth, viruses and tragedy knock us around and end our dreams. But the hope of Jesus will one day blossom into an inheritance like nothing we have now. Nothing will spoil or stop or use it up. It's kept in heaven, safe and secure, ready for us. And just as their inheritance was guaranteed by God, so is ours. Because not only has Jesus secured it, but God is guarding us, shielding us by his power until it's ready to be revealed and fully known. We haven't saved ourselves. And because of Jesus and his work, he secured our full salvation for us. That's the idea. Moreover, this inheritance is not just a little bit of dirt but it's a whole renewed creation in which we will work and celebrate, live, have an economy and live free from the struggles of the wilderness. That's the future we long for and that's the kingdom of God. And so now I can rejoice in that. Even if for a little while, as Peter says, I have to suffer and you have to suffer trials of some kind. Even if there are wrinkles in the road that seek to threaten and knock us around, like the five daughters. But yes, our challenges are different. It could be a lack of sleep, a hostile workplace, ongoing sickness, a busy life, a cost of living pressures. Lots of things seek to trip us up and look after and strive after a godless promised land. A way of life promising everything good but God himself is a real threat. But as we close numbers, and from the ridgeline perspective we have from the New Testament, let's press on. Let's press on in faith, loving, reading, praying, seeking, repenting. Let's journey in the road of life, in the wilderness with confidence, 
in the God who will restore us and bring us home. And that's the greatest hope we can imagine. The road is tough and it's long, it's challenging, but the vision for the future is glorious. And that's the inheritance that Jesus secured for us. So we end numbers on this ridgeline with the five faith of the daughters looking out to what will be theirs by God's grace. And that's the perspective that I need and we need today. So then, will you set your heart and mind on the hope of no more tears, no more inflation, no more stress, no more sickness, no more obstacles that cause exhaustion, because that's the hope we have in Jesus as we navigate the wilderness of this life. So, Join me, striving for that inheritance, because God has come near. And in Jesus and by the Spirit, we enjoy the very best of what is to come, because the future will be ours in Christ. Because after all, God is our promised land. So wait with me, hope with me, and let's run after God together, striving for the what's to come.